Please take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John. Let me say, first of all, uh, thank you to the Hill Country Band and to the community choir. Is that how, community choir? Is that not awesome? Is that not awesome? Let's give them a hand one more time. Very nice. And uh, Dr. Cheatham, thank you so much for your uh, awesome presentation. The only bad thing about all this is now i got to stand up here after all that. <laughs> And, uh, and talk. We are so glad that you're here. If you've not been with us uh, ever or for the last couple of weeks, I uh, just want to bring you up to speed. We started the 1st of June, a summer road trip series of messages, and we've been going to some different destinations. We started out in St. Louis, and then we went to Las Vegas, then to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and the Grand Tetons, and spent some time last week in Hollywood. So this morning, we're going to traverse all the way back across the country to a place called Boston. So let me welcome you to Boston. I've never been there, but here's some things I know. It's famous for baked beans, for basketball, for Bahaba, and for uh, Fenway Park and the Green Monster, a marathon and a number of other things. But maybe the thing it's most famous for, or at least the most important thing about Boston, is that it's the cradle of freedom in the American Revolution. Following the French and Indian War in uh, 1763, uh, the English crown needed to recoup some of the expenses, and so they began to levy taxes. So that's kind of where it started. If you want to know where taxes started, it kind of started way back there in 1763. And the colonists didn't like it. Imagine that, huh? They didn't like taxes. And so they rebelled against taxes, and so... Uh, to kind of summarize this thing, what happened was that uh, Parliament decided that they would eliminate all the taxes and they would uh, award the East India Company the rights to bring tea to the colonies and they would put a tax on the tea. They put a very small tax on the tea and so the colonists would be able to acquire tea at a cheaper price than ever. But if they drank the tea or bought the tea, they agreed to the tax. And so what happened was a couple ships arrived in Philadelphia, New York. They wouldn't let them in. Uh, that couple came to Charleston, and they unloaded the tea, put it in a warehouse for storage. Three years later, they sold it to finance the Revolutionary War. But three ships came to Boston, and they settled in the harbor. And one night in 17, I think it was uh, December, uh, uh, December evening, a group of about 200 Men, some Indians, but many colonists, they gathered uh, that late part of 1773 on a hill and they assembled together and they marched down to the port, onto the wharf, into the boats, and they dumped all the tea in the ocean. We learned about it as the Boston Tea Party. But that began, the colonists were happy. They were delighted. But Parliament and the Crown, to say the least, uh, were ticked off. And so by March of 1774, they had moved in a detachment of soldiers. And let me just read us a, a portion from a book called Final Call, where it describes that evening of April uh, 18, 1775. There were about 700 uh, British soldiers. And uh, while Boston slept, these soldiers were assembled. But one man kept watch. One man was aware His name was Paul Revere, and he refused to sleep. 
Well, across Boston, uh, Dr. Joseph Warren was directing the Patriot activities. He knew a messenger must be sent at once, and so he sent for a man of great courage, a man that was more committed to the cause than his own life. He called on Paul Revere, who was a 40-year-old silversmith, and the plan was simple. Paul Revere was to launch into a boat and try to beat the British across the river and begin the warning uh, that because the call had to go out. And if you remember the story, Revere dashed off to the Old North Church and and uh, he notified the, the, the belfry and said, or the sexton and said, we need to put two uh, lamps in the belfry. And while the soldiers slept in the church, they lit two lanterns to signify two if by sea. Revere rowed across uh, the river in a boat, narr- narrowly escaping uh, the British ship and began the journey. The British are coming. The British are coming. And you may well remember that ride that he went on that night. Well, that began the Battle of Lexington. And before the battle finished, some 93 men lost their life, all because and only because they believed in a thing called freedom. They were willing to give their lives. They were willing to lay their lives on the line. And because they were, I stand free in a pulpit today to be able to teach the Word of God. You sit freely in a worship center today to be able to honor and serve and worship the Lord Jesus Christ because men were willing to lay down their lives. Well, even before that, a a greater freedom was needed. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, uh, stepped out of heaven, took on the nature of a man, became obedient to the point of death, the Bible says even death on the cross. So you and I not only would experience the freedom we have today, but that we might experience what the Bible teaches is spiritual freedom. And so I call your attention to John chapter 8. I want to read a couple verses regarding the matter of spiritual freedom. And I would invite you to stand with me to honor the Word of God as we read uh, from the pages of Scripture. John chapter 8, beginning... In verse 31, our very own Lord said this to the Jews, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Shall we pray together? Father, thank you so much Obviously, for men and women who have died so we could have freedom of worship and the freedom to live in America. But, Father, for the Lord Jesus, who humbled himself, who considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but the Bible says made himself of no reputation, taking on the nature of man, he became obedient to death so that we might know 
and experience spiritual freedom. Father, I would invite you this morning to speak out of your word right into the middle of our lives that we might wrap our hands around, that we might come to understand, that we might be able to comprehend the idea of spiritual freedom and what it means for us, what it should do in us. And then, Father, I would pray for those this morning that are with us that may not yet have personally experienced the freedom that comes in knowing Christ Jesus as their Lord. And so I would just invite you, Father, by your Holy Spirit to come and meet with us. And we'll honor you and we will praise you and we will give you the glory for all that you do. And we ask it, Father, in the awesome and mighty name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for joining me as we honor the Word of God. Paul Revere was willing to risk his life for the cause. Benjamin Church, Joseph Warren, Samuel Adams, William Dawes, John Hancock, and the life believed in the cause of freedom and subsequently were willing to lay down their life. They were willing to put their life on the line to secure freedom for all of us who had come behind them. Well, Jesus Christ valued spiritual freedom so much that he was willing to set aside the glory and majesty of God. He was willing to take on the nature of a man and live a sinless life and become obedient to the point of death, even as I've prayed and said to death on the cross. Because he believed in the cause, and the cause was for people like you and for people like me, to be set free. Now, as we look at our text this morning, as we think about our text, uh, we need to think about what it says there in verse 35. And we're going to kind of jump around through the verses. But the interesting thing about it is uh, in writing to, uh, in in speaking to the Pharisees or the, the Jewish audience that was gathered, many of them believed in Jesus, but they had kind of an intellectual belief and they had such a short memory As Jewish people, they said, we've never been in bondage to anyone. We're descendants of Abraham. They remembered Abraham, but they forgot about Moses, and they forgot about Egypt, and they forgot about Assyria, and they forgot about Babylon, and they were indeed slavery. And Jesus was using that to point out a principle, and that is that those who sin are spiritual slaves to the enemy. And he said there in that text that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, hardly, perhaps not any of us would argue that we sinned. Uh, Almost everyone would agree, yes, I've sinned. But few of us realize or acknowledge that because we're sin, we're in bondage to sin. And in reality, we're in bondage to the enemy. And, And because that's true, Jesus came to set us free from this bondage. And so let's talk about that for a minute. And before we kind of, before I share my thoughts, I want to talk about this, the idea of spiritual freedom. Because I think sometimes we don't quite grasp the meaning uh, of, of freedom. Uh, a lot of times in our culture, we think that uh, freedom in general, but uh, spiritual freedom specifically, we think, uh, first of all, that freedom is the absence of cost. A lot of people think, for something to be free means there's no cost. But you and I know there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? I mean, someone has to pay. Now, salvation is free, 
But following Jesus is costly. It's costly. In fact, Jesus said in uh, Luke 9 and 23 that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so understand that freedom is not the absence of cost. Well, others believe that perhaps freedom is the absence of responsibility. That if, if I'm free, then I'm no longer responsible. I think about this. We'll be going on vacation in a couple of weeks, and we'll go over to North Carolina. We'll spend some time with my in-laws, and I can already just imagine what it'll be like. that They'll watch the kids one night, and when they watch the kids, our response is that, we will be free. Okay? We, we won't have the responsibility. Some of you send your kids off to your grandparents. Some of your grandparents, you get the kids sent off to you. And the husband and wife are thinking, whoo, I'm free. And, and we think, well, freedom's an absence of responsibility. But the reality is that's just not true. Spiritual freedom is not the absence of responsibility. On the contrary, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a servant to everyone. And so understand freedom is not the absence of cost. Spiritual freedom is not the absence of responsibility. But there's a third idea that oftentimes people have, and and that is that freedom is an absence of restraint. In other words, if I'm spiritually free, then I have a license to do whatever I want to do. And oftentimes we think, if I'm free, I can do whatever. Imagine a fish that thinks, well, I'm free, I can do whatever. Well, if a fish gets out of water, out of the boundaries that he was created for, he's not free at all. And I I thought about, in fact, uh, I wanted to bring a little item to show you this morning. We have a we have a train a little, that's on a track. It's got a little circular track. We put it around the Christmas tree every year. And I really, I almost pulled it out last night, but I knew that there just wasn't going to be any space here. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to set my little train up on the track because the interesting thing about a train, when a train is on the track, it is free to just go and go and go and go. But if the train gets off the track, guess what happens? It is bound up and it is unable to experience true freedom. And so here's a principle. When we follow boundaries, we're free to do exactly what we were designed to do. A train on the track is free to be all that it was designed to be. A fish in the water is free to be all that it was designed to be. And so what about us? When it comes to freedom, if freedom is not the absence of restraint, what is it? Well, in my notes, and this isn't really said well, but let me just give you the, the idea. Freedom is, freedom is when we trust God's Word and we bring, bring our life into its authority. And so while the, the water is the parameter for a fish, while the tracks are the boundaries and the parameter for a train, God's Word is the parameter for us to be free. Notice how Jesus said that. Look again, chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus says there, to the Jews who had believed in him, he says, if you hold to my teaching. Now, if you're reading from the English Standard, it says, if you abide in my word, or perhaps the New American or, or the King James, it says, if you abide in my word. Word being 
in the original language, logos, which is the word for God's word. And here's the principle. Jesus was saying, if you follow my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so if you want to be free in life, it doesn't mean that it's the absence of cost. If you want to be spiritually free, it's not the absence of responsibility. If you want to be spiritually free, it is not the absence of restraint. On the contrary, to be spiritually free means to follow the teachings of Jesus. That's what he said. Notice again verse 33. He says, "You, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, we touched on the subject a bit last week, but let me just go back for just a moment. In our culture, truth is a very marginal subject. Often, many people believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. Uh, We have scholars that tell us it's impossible, and we have philosophers that tell us it's impossible. But the Scripture is very, very clear that there is such a thing as truth. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 31, verse 5, it says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. The God of the Bible is the God of truth. The the Scripture says in John 1, 14, notice, I think it's going to come up on the screen, but it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among, among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of truth. God is the God of truth. And then the Bible says in a number of places, but in John 16, 13, talking about His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, you will know the truth, and the truth uh, is going to going to help you and it's going to strengthen you. He's not going to speak on his own. He's going to speak what he hears and he'll tell you what is to come. And so God is the God of truth. Jesus is the God of truth. And the Holy Spirit is the God of truth. But the Bible goes on to say and declare and to proclaim that even itself, it is truth in his high priestly prayer. If you have your Bible open there, turn right to John 17, verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus prayed John 17, verse 17, our very own Lord said this to his father. He says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Now, listen to this statement. Your word is truth. Now, although we live in a culture that says to us there's no such thing as truth, Scripture is markedly, abundantly, profoundly clear that God is truth. That Jesus is truth, that the Holy Spirit is truth, and that His Word that's been revealed to us is the truth. And a matter of fact, it also says of itself, if you have your scripture, uh, Psalm 116, or excuse me, Psalm 119, if you'll turn there, notice with me, I believe it's verse 160, where it says to us, all your words are true. Now listen to this statement, all your words are true. That means from Genesis to Maps. It's all true. Okay, but but notice this. All your righteous laws are eternal. And then look over in verse, uh, I think it's 189. 189. 
if there is a 189. There's not a 189. What is it? Oh, excuse me, verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. I got, boy, I got a lot of verses in this scripture. I don't tell God I'm adding to it, okay? <laughs> verse 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Now, listen, you say, why is that important? Well, because so many people say, well, you know, this and this and this, and we don't know about this, and we're not sure about that. But if, listen, listen. If God has spoken, it's true. And if God has spoken and it's true, it's eternal. It doesn't change. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. And so I say all that to say to you, when you follow the teachings of Jesus, when you know the truth, the truth can set you free. If you want to be free, if you want to be able to experience all that God has for you, if you want to become, if you want to be everything God designed you to be, then you've got to, you've got to live by the truth. The train has tracks that are its parameters. We have God's word that are our parameters. And our own Lord said, our own Lord said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, so what does that what does that mean? How, how does that apply or affect us? Well, I want to just give you three examples this morning of how God's Word can set you free or three areas uh, where God's Word will set you free. And, uh, and I think one of these, at least one of these applies to all of us. First of all, uh, God's Word frees us from religion. Now, we live in a culture that's very religious, but not always very relational when it comes to God. Notice what our Lord said there, John chapter 8 again, verse 31. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching. Interesting phrase. Look at the next phrase. He says, if you hold to my teaching. In other words, if you, if you hold on to this, if you do what this says, notice what it says. You are really my disciples. Uh, your translation may say it this way. It may say you are truly my disciples. But at the end of the day, Jesus was talking with an audience that was very religious. Many of them believed him, believed about him, believed in him. But he says, unless you follow my word, unless you hold on to my teaching, you're not really one of mine. Now, and so what I want us to understand is that when you discover God's word, you're free from religion and you're allowed to find a relationship. Notice there in our text, look down at verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. But listen to this, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. In other words, in this audience, in this crowd that he was talking to, it was a mixed audience. There were, there were Jewish people, probably some Gentiles. There were people that were truly born again, that were true followers of Christ. And then there were a lot of people they believed about Jesus, but they had not brought their life into conformity to the Word of God. They had religion, but they were without a relationship. Well, the Scripture says, the Bible says, the Bible teaches that God's greatest desire for you is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, if we were to go back to the high priestly prayer, John 17 verse 3 says... This is eternal life, to know the one true God 
and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And if you want spiritual freedom, that means that God wants to deliver you from religion. And he wants to give you a relationship with his son. Notice, if you will, John, first chapter, listen to verse 12. John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so when you, when you truly believe in the name of Jesus, when, when you transfer your life, when you place your faith in Christ and you turn away from your sin and your trust Jesus, you become a child of God. In effect, you become a son. And remember, if you become a son, then you're free forever. And so what Jesus wants to do in your life and what he's done in my life is he wants to deliver us from religion, that is, doing the things that, that religion says do, showing up at church or showing up at this event or doing this. Or, and he wants to deliver you into a relationship that is life-changing. And uh, we began our service this morning with Deanna being baptized and, and getting to know her over the last few months it's so exciting to know that she grew up religious. She was religious. But when she discovered Jesus as her Lord and Savior, she was set free. And she'll tell you. I, I can remember standing in a hallway out there one day. She says, Mike, two years ago, God saved me. I was born again. And she said, I'm just changed. I'm free. Can I just ask you this morning? Are you free to really know Jesus? Are you just religious? Or do you have a relationship with the Son of the living God? Because but as many as, as, many as received Him, to those who believe in His name, He gives the right to become a child of God. God wants you to know Him, not just about Him. He wants you to know Him personally. In spiritual freedom, at, at the very heart of it, Frees you from religion and leads you to a relationship. And so, do you have a relationship, a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ? It comes by, by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not all that Jesus does for us. That's not all that spiritual freedom can do for us. Many of you would say, but pastor, I'm saved. I'm, I, I do have a relationship. And so not only does spiritual freedom deliver us from religion, but also if we, if we study the Scriptures, we'll also know that it, it delivers us from distractions. God wants to set you free and me free from distractions. And my stars, we live in a world of distractions. It is very easy for us to get our focus off of one thing because we're distracted by something else. And it can happen at work. It can happen with your kids. It can happen with your parents. It can happen... Uh, in, in any area of life, in any arena of life. But at the end of the day, what God wants to do is free us from distractions. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Paul's in a dialogue with a church, and he's kind of talking about uh, some of the things that God's done in his life. But in the middle of it, he, he talks about when Christ set him free from religion and brought him into a relationship with Jesus. Notice kind of what happened. Philippians chapter 3. By the way, this isn't coming up on the board, I don't think. But Philippians 3, verse 7, Paul says, now he's looking back. Let me set this up. He's looking back when he was a religious Pharisee. And by the way, he was a, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was uh, 
educated in the best schools. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised the eighth day of Israel. He had this, he had this religious resume that was second to none. I mean, he was, he had it all. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, he was, he, he, he educated the best place, the best money. I mean, he had it all. But notice what he says when he became, began a relationship with Christ. Verse seven. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to, he goes on to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And so here's Paul. He's got this great spiritual resume. I mean, he, he, you know, he had the Sunday school pen. He'd been to Sunday school all these years in a row. He had these little diplomas on the wall that said he'd taken all the studies. You know, and he, he was a good boy and he did everything he was supposed to do. And, and he performed this and he did everything religion said to do. And he says, listen, I, I count all that loss. In fact, he says, I count it as rubbish. I won't go into great detail what the word means, but it means done. He says, I count it as garbage, as just trash for the excellence of knowing Christ. And so my point being is that when we're, listen, when Jesus sets you free, he wants to take away the distractions in, in your life. And he wants to take away the distractions in my life. And I don't know how it works in your house, and I don't know how it works at your job, and I don't know how it works in your family, and I don't know how it is in your world, but in my world, there's a lot of stuff. And there's just a lot of stuff. And God says, I want to take those distractions away. I want to set you free from that. So he wants to remove distractions so we can have a focus. Because we're just busy, busy, busy. And, and sometimes it doesn't matter. I, I had to go to the hospital last night. And, and so I'm checking out. You know, you you got to go to that little thing. and you got to pay when you go out of the parking. Uh, I don't know if you've done that. It's, it's pretty late. It's almost 11 o'clock. And, and so, I, so I pull up to the little guardhouse. Uh, there was a person in there. And so I pull up to the little guardhouse. And I'm just sitting here. And I'm digging in to get my car. And I'm digging for my ticket. You know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm just, I'm not even paying attention. And finally I get all my stuff together. And I'm ready to pay out. And it's closed. And she says, we're closed. And she points. That little wand is up. And I'm sitting here in my car, 10 minutes to 11, getting all my stuff together, and the gate's open. I'm just thinking, idiot. I'm distracted by all this stuff around me. I'm not paying attention. And so many of us in our spiritual life, we're trying to get everything in our life together. And we're not focused on what God wants to do in your life. And so listen, listen, when you, when you commit to learn the truth, the truth will set you free from your distractions. It'll set you free from your religion. But then there's one other area that I want to talk about just quickly this morning. Not only does God want to free us from distractions, not only does He want to free us from religion and, and give us a relationship with God, but He also wants to free us from complacency. 
if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the greatest danger you have, I believe the greatest danger you have, other than just the enemy himself, is the danger of becoming complacent and content with where you are in your spiritual journey. Most of us, we're, we're, we're just satisfied with where we are. We're just satisfied. We're satisfied with how things are going with our kids spiritually. We're satisfied with how things are going in our marriage spiritually. We're, we're satisfied with how things are, are going uh, in, in, really in every area of our spirit. Most of us, we're just satisfied. Hey, I'm going to heaven. I know Jesus. If I die, I'm okay. I'm ready. And so we've become complacent spiritually. And God wants to set us free from that. In fact, I was listening to Craig Groeschel and he was talking uh, about this very subject. And, and here's what he said uh, to believers, a great principle. He said, he said, what we need to learn to be, we need to learn to be satisfied with what we have in life, but unsatisfied with what we're doing for God with our life. But most of us are satisfied with what we're doing for God in life. But we're not content with what we have in life. So we, we're trying to get a, a nicer house or a, a better job or uh, we want our kids to be more involved in, you know, we want them to be on the better team or we want them to get the better grade. Or, and we could just go down the list. But that's, that's really the opposite of what God... God wants us to be satisfied with what we have but unsatisfied with what we're doing for the kingdom of God. And in fact, Paul talks about that. If you're still in Philippians chapter 3, listen. Now, now again, he's just said, I count everything lost. He's just gone on record and said, Every, listen, I got this spiritual resume. I've been to church my whole life, been religious my whole life, got money, got friends, got it all. He said, I count it all lost for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then listen to what he says in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, not that I've already attained all this. I, I don't know Christ like I want to yet. I, I don't understand the fellowship of sharing and the suffering yet. And so not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. But look what he says. Philippians 3 verse 12. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call or the call heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not content. He said, I'm not content. I'm afraid that, that most of us, we become content. I mean, if we took a survey, most of us in here are believers. Most of us would say, yes, I have a relationship with Christ. But how many of us have, have become complacent and content with where we are? While in the world around us, there are people we know that don't have a relationship with Christ. And because they don't have a relationship with Christ, if they die lost, they'll spend eternity in hell separated from God. So how can we be content? Spiritual freedom is when we trade complacency for faithfulness. You know, it's when we go from having religion to having a relationship with God. It's when we go from being distracted to having a focus for God. It's when we go from being complacent to mattering, to, having, to being able to matter for God. 
And so I guess kind of my question is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, which most of us are, does your life, does my life, does it matter for God? Does it matter for God? One verse and we'll wrap up with that. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 says this. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each one should use whatever gift he has. Don't be complacent. Don't be content with where you are in your relationship with Christ. One other thing Craig said, this is, this is you can write this down. If you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. We ought to get busy using our gifts for the glory of God. Isn't that right? All right, let's pray together. Father, uh, Lord, as we're praying all over the auditorium, Father, uh, in this crowd, there are those who believe in Christ and know Him as their Lord and Savior. Uh, And God, there are others who have not yet discovered Him. Maybe they're religious. Perhaps they grew up religious, maybe as a Baptist or another denomination, even maybe like Deanna. They grew up uh, being religious, but they've never discovered what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Father, the Bible says that as many as received Him, to those who believe in His name, He will give the right to become a child of God. And Father, I know in the auditorium this morning, there's some men and women, some boys and girls who need to become children of God. They need to be set free from the bondage to sin. They need to be set free from religion. And they need a relationship with the Son of the God of the universe. And Father, if they, they can have it for the asking, and God, it would be my prayer this morning that they would open their heart to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they would simply pray to Him. You know, the Bible says, Father, in Romans 10, uh, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And God, my hope for the man, woman, and boy and girl that do not yet know You, that today they would turn from their way of living and their sin in repentance, And they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God, if they do, they'll be set free from religion. And they can have a relationship with the God of the universe. What a great, great thing that'll be. So God, I pray that even right now, they would say a simple prayer to you. Lord Jesus, I know you died for me. I pray they would pray with me this very prayer. Lord Jesus, I know you died for me. I've turned from my sin. I invite you to fill me, to forgive me, to free me, and to give me a very brand new life. God, if they'll call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and they will be saved. And then, Father, for many of us who are believers, perhaps we're distracted by some of the, the things that, uh, of the world. Maybe they're religious things, maybe they're worldly things, but we're distracted by them. Paul calls them rubbish. God, may we move from Rubbish to riches to following Christ and obeying Him. 
And God, still others of us as believers, as we're still praying, God, others of us, we've become complacent and just satisfied where we are. But when we're spiritually free, when we're really free, Lord, when a train's free, it, it moves around the tracks with energy and vibrancy. And God, when we'll bring our life under the authority of your word, we won't be complacent and content, but we're free to move along and do the things you've called us to do, to share our faith and to tell our story and to live with holiness and conviction and to make a difference and to use our gifts to serve others. God, I would just pray this morning that you would have your way in every person's heart and every person's life. And God, when it's all said and done, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it all. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.